All right, Stephen Kent is here. He is uh, with Young Voices and the host of Beltway Bantha's podcast, which is a fun podcast. Uh, and this week, the new Star Wars. Do we have a bit of the clip for the new Star Wars? Uh, this is the uh, this is the new Star Wars. It comes out Thursday. Stu has his tickets. Pat has his tickets. I don't have my tickets. Um, but uh, it opens up, and this is this is the last, the rise of Skywalker. Listen. It's an instinct. fight if we lead them. People keep telling me they know me. No one does. Taking one last look, sir, at my friends. Oh, how sweet. Um, I'm just getting so and so. I'm getting really dark on all the cute little things that George Lucas started. I just, I want them all to die. I'm, I'm for, I'm for baby Yoda, but uh, all the rest of the stuff that George Lucas did, I just want to die. Um, let's go to, uh, let's go to Stephen, uh, who's with us now, Stephen Kent. Hey, Stephen. Glenn, good morning. Do you have any, uh, any insight on what's going to happen? They're bringing Ray and Kylo together to create balance. Is this, is this going to be a preachy movie? Is what, what's happening? Well, Star Wars is always at its best when it's a little bit preachy. I mean, it's never not had a message since it began. But again, like what to expect? The movies supposedly ended in 1983, and then they ended again in 2015. And now here we are. They're ending supposedly again in 2019. We've been talking about this, you and I, since 2016. I got to say my anxiety is pretty high, and my expectations are just kind of all over the place. So do you th- how, who's directing this? This is J.J. Abrams again, who oh, took over The Force good. Awakens when it was rebooted. He did a good job. He did. He made people feel comfortable with this being a reboot of Star Wars or a continuation of that story. Um, I think it's a nice, safe pick that they did, and it's going to round it all down nicely. All right, so this is not one of them that it went through like three directors, right? J.J. Abrams has <laughs> been on this the whole time. Uh, it was originally slated to be given to Colin Trevorrow, who directed the Jurassic Park sequels. Uh, and it was taken away from him for reasons that are kind of unclear, but they've uh, just written that off to creative differences, which means that he couldn't play ball with all the um, the high budget expectations that came with that studio. Uh, um, and uh, and this is Disney owned, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is yeah. Disney. 
They're going to take us across the finish line here and uh, try to make this all make sense, not just these three movies, but all nine of them. And you were asking about what to expect from this movie. I think the only thing that we have to go off of is the voice of Emperor Palpatine that shows up in these trailers. If you think about Star Wars and continuity, the only thing that stretches from episodes one all the way to nine is Senator, then Chancellor, then Emperor Palpatine and the actor Ian McDiarmid. So he's coming back for this final movie. And the big question is going to be, how the heck did that happen? Because he was blown to pieces in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> oh, I hope they do another thing where he floats through space like oh. Leia. Because that really worked well, I thought. Steven, is that the worst thing you've ever seen? They had the actress dies. They have a way for her to die. And they bring her back? Uh, yeah, but would you have wanted Leia to die by yes. being sucked into a vortex yes. in space? <laughs> yes. yes, 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 I would have. In fact, there's a there's a vortex, and I have several characters with a vortex with their name on it. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was an odd choice, and I personally kind of fell out of my seat at that. Uh, and I just always look away when that scene comes around in the Last Jedi because it's a little little too much cheese. Okay, so. It, uh, they're mixing the two, the dark force and the light. They're finding balance. Is that yeah, is that what maybe. we think this is going to be, where they're like, you know, yeah. not everything is bad? Well, when I first came onto the blaze and talked to Pat and Stu in 2016 about The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, that's where I was at, that they were going to find a balance between the light side and the dark side and kind of do away with this holy war between the Jedi and the Sith. And then that came around to The Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson basically snubbed that idea entirely and kept the status quo going. I think all indicators are still pointing towards a complete disruption of the Jedi-Sith conflict and the light and dark paradigm. And I think that's going to be pretty healthy for Star Wars going forward, if we can sort of balance out the moral imperative of having a clear light and dark and good and evil. That's the mix that they have to get right here. So who is the Skywalker that's rising? My opinion of this is that the Skywalker is the Force user. So that the Skywalker is going to be sort of melded into a title for people who choose to walk in the ways of the Force, study the old ways, study the history, Luke Skywalker, Anakin, all those great heroes. I think they're going to do away with these sort of religious titles that come with the Jedi and the Sith. And they're going to be just a, a new class of warrior, like samurais, Skywalkers. Uh, that's my personal theory. The easier answer might just be that it's Kylo Ren, because he's the only Skywalker currently living. He's currently fallen, and he could still stand back up and rise back to his family's legacy. Um, tell me that you were not blown out of your shoes, shocked, when you heard that Disney did not make any Baby Yodas available for Christmas. <laughs> That was pretty stunning. It was really, really stunning. But, you know, it kind of cuts against a couple different narratives about Disney. Are they either after the money and chasing every single dollar they can get, or are they meticulous and protective of the brand? Um, it kind of threw a, a little bit of a wrench in everybody's opinions about Disney with that. I think that they have a new mouse with Baby Yoda. That thing is so cute. It's making me watch these the Mandalorian and actually continuing to give it a chance, even though the last few episodes I've been like, okay, come on, let's let's pick it up here. What, what, yeah. what, what's the story? Yeah, we're all we're all united and stand with Baby Yoda. It's uh, been something our own household has enjoyed, and it's it's pretty remarkable to see that actually happen uh, pretty organically, where this sort of cute creature is put into Star Wars. 
to make everybody, you know, kind of be able to enjoy a kid-friendly series that is otherwise pretty violent. And it's being received incredibly well. I mean, I (laughs) don't think it it is. It shows that George Lucas, the George Lucas impact or influence is gone because this is the character that he always tried to find. And they have now found it. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose that is true. I know uh, the first bungle of cute creatures was with the Ewoks and Return of the Jedi. And they were horrible. And when you think, yeah, when you think about the first uh, early divisions in fandom, fandom was always quite united around Star Wars 4 and 5, that being the Empire Strikes Back. The first big rift was Return of the Jedi uh, and sort of the cute nature of the Ewoks and some of the narrative choices of that film. And we've been reliving that horror show of incredibly divisive Star Wars movies ever since. Uh, I have a couple theories about that myself. <laughs> Do you think... Do you think maybe this is where the divide in America started? <laughs> the divide Jar-Jar, in America started Jar-Jar on Banks. Endor. Yeah, and on Endor. <laughs> uh, 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 are you going to uh, Are you going to the conference uh, this weekend for Turning Point? I am not. No. Oh, okay. Well, I was hoping to to see you there, but uh, I guess not. So. I'm sure you'll do a bang up job. Oh, I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. What's your? What do you have a? Uh, have you done this thing that everyone is doing with the, ranking them in the you know all ten movies in order of preference? Steve? Yeah, you know, I feel like I've done it every two years, and at this point, I'm like tired of throwing it up there. Uh, but Return of the Jedi has always been my number one since we actually wow. just discussed that, and then Revenge of the Sith, Sith Episode Three mm. as my number two. Mm. Those are both incorrect. Just to let you know, yeah. Just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I've never, I've never heard a correct answer mm. when it comes to Star Wars, and you know that's just kind of the fun generational nature of this saga. Every group uh, and cohort of generations have their own preferences when it comes to these movies because it is their Star Wars, and that's kind of why we're all tearing each other's heads off perpetually with these movies um it's a little bit beautiful it's also a little bit maddening so how do millennials stand on the first three yeah yeah episode one two and three yeah Yeah. they do they feel the same way yeah elder elder millennials kind of fall in with gen x with a lot of skepticism about the prequels and heavy critique what i've seen in the past couple of years has been an incredible um not revisionist history but sort of a fighting back by millennials about enjoying the uh the first three star wars movies because they were kids when they watched it they didn't really have those blinders on about what is cheesy and what is bad acting they just watched it and it was star wars and it was cool um, so i've actually seen a huge swing back in favor of the prequels and a lot of people readdressing those movies with a little bit more favorable light and that's what's so funny because apparently star, uh, george lucas destroyed everyone's childhoods with those movies oh uh, I mean, and now we're now Greta we're thurnberg is talking about george again. Greta, Greta Thunberg is talking about, to George Lucas when she said, you, you stole my childhood. <laughs> you That's stole what she, everything from me. Yeah, yeah, she's talking specifically about Phantom Menace. That's what she's talking <laughs> How about. How dare you? <laughs> Stephen Kent, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again. Stephen yeah, Kent, uh, spokesperson, Young Voices, and a host of Beltway Bantha's uh, podcast. So, Stu, did you see the um, the support for impeachment now uh, dropping by double digits and dropping really uh, for women? Yeah, I mean, uh, polling, I, I'd say, is mixed on this. There is a one uh, there's a couple of good polls for Trump that are out over the past couple of days. Uh, one in general election match- matchups. 
It's kind of a weird poll from USA Today, which includes a third-party candidate getting double digits. Um, but Trump is beating in those matchups every single Democrat. Um, so it's one thing that obviously the right is kind of excited about. The poll is strange, though, with a third-party candidate who's unnamed getting 15%. I mean, like that's obviously not going to happen. I think we can all be clear that 15% of people are not voting for a third-party candidate. That's that's not going to occur in this election. Um, uh, but don't you think that that is uh, people thinking maybe that somebody in the Democratic Party is, you know, going to pop in like a Michelle Obama or a Hillary Clinton or somebody? There's a strange belief, I think, with people that something's going to happen and they got to get somebody good and they're going to pop in at the convention. Which is hilarious because that is just shows how bad their field is right they're all just like this can't be it right it's like a bad turn in like a star wars like you're like you know he's like hey jar jar binks was actually the lead jedi and you're like that can't be it though right like we're not gonna end the movie with jar jar as the (laughs) that's the way people feel that's how they feel about this field so they keep thinking that either hillary or michelle obama or somebody else is going to come in as a sort of white knight to save everybody Uh, i don't think that's happening um, but I really don't think a third-party candidate at this point. I mean, the only one who would be even plausible would be someone like Bloomberg, who would say killed. he's going to go into the third party because they select Bernie Sanders or something. Uh, but I, I do not think that that's going to happen. But that will, that, that will just split the Democratic vote because people will vote. All the youth will vote for Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? And I, so I don't think that's – it's unlikely that you, you then have uh, the the impeachment polls, which – you know, there's a there's a Fox News poll that came out that was uh, still has the president slightly underwater when it comes to impeachment. Um, this poll that you mentioned had a pretty big swing towards uh, the opposite, mm-hmm. showing that people are now opposing uh, impeachment and removal. I, I do think that's where it's going. You, you know, like for impeachment to happen and removal especially to happen, you need a president with a 20 percent approval rating. You yes. need like a Nixon who has lost all of his allies, has been proven to be. And this is just a partisan situation here. Like we're in a situation where you're going to get, they need 216, I believe, votes um, because of a few vacancies to get this over the hump in the House. Um, and they will get that likely. I mean, they have 194 on board right now confirmed on the Democratic side. They have 11 that are undecided. Yeah, I went through them. Um, some of them are not undecided. I mean, you know, Steny Hoyer is not an undecided voter on impeachment. He's going mm. to vote for it. Um, I, I found three uh, House members who are in decently, you know, double-digit Trump districts, where Trump won by double digits, and they're undecided. I think those are three obvious targets. Uh, then you have, an, I have another one, two, three, four, five of the 11 that are maybes, um, you know, including someone like Tulsi Gabbard, who is in a very big Clinton district. However, she just seems to be against the grain enough that maybe she would vote that way. Uh, you can find a, a couple of others, but to, f- to pick off uh, what they would need to pick off, you know, 16 uh, Democrats or so doesn't seem likely. Uh, it's hard. I'm having trouble getting anywhere close to 16 when it comes to people who are in that area where they say, okay, uh, I'm, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a uh, purple district, and I, wa- I don't want to piss off my voters. There's not a ton of them. There's not enough to get to these numbers. Uh, and, and obviously, they wouldn't have called for this vote if they didn't think they had enough.
Welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. Uh, we have Lauren Chen, the host of uh, Pseudo Intellectual, the podcast. Um, and you're uh, Lauren. You're a uh, Canadian. Welcome to Texas. It's re- <laughs> the you. real America. You it's know. colder than I thought it would be here, though. Frankly, I'm a little bit disappointed. I was yeah. I was hoping for some warmth. Well, Dallas is different. Dallas is, uh, you know, this is I guess the high elevations of <laughs> of Texas. But, yeah. Uh, uh, so it's a little bit uh, colder, and it, and it, tomorrow it could be ninety. <laughs> Just, probably you know, i'm leaving tomorrow so yeah, that would make so sense. it probably will be exactly. 90 um so first of all tell, tell me about the podcast how the health is uh you know of the numbers etc cetera, etc cetera, because of youtube i know a lot of your stuff is on youtube you're a member of the blaze mm-hmm. uh tv so you're part of our podcast family um but um how, how are you affected by the purge and everything that's going on with google and youtube so for the purge there was this i think Last week, just this new set of rules and policies regarding harassment that was released. So far, as far as I know, they don't always tell you about these things, but we haven't had any videos taken down, which the same can't be said for other creators, but we, we've yeah. been okay for that so far. But for us, the biggest thing with YouTube and Google has just been this ongoing challenge of trying to get our videos out there. Previously with YouTube, if you uh, kind of tagged your videos properly, if people were interested, if engagement was good, YouTube's YouTube system would recommend you to potential viewers. Uh They watch, they subscribe, your podcast grows like that. Or if you kind of can jump on a bandwagon topic that everyone's talking about, trending news, you can kind of grow your audience like that. Not anymore. That is not how that happens anymore, especially if you're in news commentary, especially if you're in conservative news commentary. So what we've been finding is that really the only way we're still able to be growing, which we are, thank goodness, is through our audience sharing our videos. People don't understand how important that is the, to share um, and not just like, but share. Right. Um, because if you don't share, the algorithms are not they're not doing anything for me or for Lauren or anybody really uh, that is conservative. It's they're not sharing. I, I look at like Instagram. I'm found always by uh, zero numbers outside of my subscribers yeah and it doesn't even make it all to the subscribers exactly no and youtube i don't know if this is politically motivated or just their system is not good but subscribers will actually get unsubscribed from your videos my own mother has been unsubscribed from my channel several times so it's frustrating and she's telling you that she didn't do it yeah of course (laughs) i'm hoping she did it um but it's very very frustrating that's why some of our videos will actually tell people Please share our videos. Go to Facebook, Twitter, uh, Reddit, wherever you can, just to, you know, or email it to people even. We have, yeah. we can see where our traffic is coming from. For some videos, more people find us from being emailed the video from their friends than YouTube's actual system. Likewise. Likewise. It's ridiculous. It, which is really bad. But there are some conservatives that, uh, you know, want to force uh youtube or google or whatever uh control them give you know give the government some oversight to it we're now having conservatives talk about porn and that porn should be regulated by the government which is incomprehensible to me as a conservative well this is this is the debate that's been blowing up on social media i remember i think it was last week i just log on to Twitter, check my feed, and everyone's talking about porn. I'm like, well, okay, what's I've clearly missed something. <laughs> something. Um, so how this conversation started off was Matt Walsh, who's with The Daily Wire, wrote an article talking about how there's, I guess, renewed interest trying to do something about 
children having access to pornography because I think there have been studies out the average age that a child first sees hardcore porn is I think 11 or something like 11 years old and it's really shocking we're not just talking about maybe the 70s no, era centerfolds where it was just nudity this yeah. is porn uh, real porn, hard real porn. Porn. my son found uh, saw his first porn I think when he was eight uh, wow. and it really screwed him up i just mean just like it, searching on the internet randomly yeah he and, was on somebody had handed him his phone or something and randomly this porn thing came up uh and mm-hmm. he went uh to the babysitter because he could, didn't know what to yeah. do with mom and dad and he went to the babysitter and he was so upset and crying and just like i, I don't i don't know what this was no and it that's not an ex- exception. This is very, yeah, very common, and you don't even need to be looking at it. With things like pop-ups, you could just be on what you think is a regular site, and then you get an ad yes. for something that's not so regular. Right. So with that in mind, I think everyone agrees. Children should not. That's not acceptable. Right. Um, they shouldn't be exposed to that. So people like Matt Walsh, who is somewhat more, you know, of the, I guess... Let's get it done. Yeah, I didn't want to say that. But yeah, (laughs) Yeah. your word's not mine. Um, So he's for just like, let's get rid of this. This is not doing any good for anybody. And his position was he wanted to ban it completely, right? Yeah. That's insane. He says he wants to ban it completely. But if you read his article, he kind of first started with, if there's a way that children can't do it, that's good. But he doesn't think it's possible. He doesn't think it's possible. There are other um, writers who have said, well, hang on. let's." And I, I'm kind of in the, I don't want to ban it, not because I think it's good, you should be looking at it. But it's like, okay, you're, if you're an adult and you're, that's your decision to make. Um, but with, when it comes to children, I do think we need to start having a conversation about what to do with this. In the UK, they've, uh, before, I guess they're a bit ahead of us, they were having conversations about do we need government involvement in this they ended up having coming to a system where internet service providers actually have like a a filter that's on the default where you can still opt out of um i'm not sure exactly how that works but it's sort of um it's an extra safeguard that's by the internet service providers not not parliament to protect or just to make sure people don't accidentally see things that they don't want to be. I, I, and that's a smart guy. This is one of the thing, things I really like about this debate as far as, uh, you know, kind of in the conservative media is that there's actually really smart people on both sides that, that, uh, that I, you know, I, that, that there's like an interesting divide there. Like uh, so many with these issues, like you're talking about, well, uh, do, you, do you for impeachment or against impeachment? And like, you know, 99% of conservatives are against it. And, you know, mm-hmm. all the left, like that, that debate is somewhat boring to me. Like this is an interesting one because there's people that I find to be very interesting on a lot of different topics that go the opposite way on me, uh, uh, from me on this. I think, I think Ben Shapiro uh, kind of broke it down in, in kind of, are you a rights-based conservative or a common good conservative? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was an interesting way of thinking about it. Because there's a lot of common good conservatives, mm-hmm. and common good is no different than a progressive or a socialist. But even it's then, always common good. Well, I mean, there's definitely differences, I would say. Well, no, yeah. no, but as far as you're just banning things or saying you know better than everyone else, uh, and so you'll you'll control things from a top-down government. That's yeah. that's a progressive mindset. Makes me nervous for yeah, sure. You don't yeah. you don't. Well, do I think that. there there are a lot of conservatives like Matt Walsh who are, and even Michael Knowles again with the Daily Wire who are saying we're not libertarians. We are yeah. conservatives. Mm-hmm. If we're like they don't have a problem with it. But what what I'm interested in this discussion for is the aspect of children. Because like I said, if you're an adult, 
you do you. I would, <laughs> you know, want to have a conversation with you if you were my friend or family member about the healthiness of that. But you should have the right to. But when it comes to children, I think, you know, we we don't allow children to go buy tobacco products. We don't allow children to go buy alcohol. We don't allow children to buy firearms. Right. Um, it is strange when, when it comes to children. There's like this almost we're not OK with talking about it. It's, it's just we've taken for granted that this is what is going to happen. Children will access this. And it's like, well, hang on. Can we at least maybe discuss this? Is yeah. there something parents need to be doing more? Should we be this? Should this be a tech-based conversation? Uh-huh. I just want us to be addressing this more because before we started looking into it, I had no idea. And maybe this is because I'm, you know, a little bit older than some of the kids who are coming into this now. I was from the dial-up generation. Internet was not a given. Rena, it was kind right, of right. like, do you do you need to call someone today? Because I would like to send an email. <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very different now. Um, right. There are studies that have been done that show that. The, I think it's the younger you are when you're first exposed to pornography, the more likely you are to slide into actual like deviant, upset things like bestiality and things mm-hmm. like that. So uh, people have called this a public health crisis, and for a lot of people who are maybe struggling with addiction, I don't think that's, I don't think that's Look, there's an exaggeration. No, there is no doubt. Studies have been done on the brain to show that. A, when you're a kid, you, you are not able to handle this. Right. B, when you're an adult, pornography has the same um, properties as heroin does. It actually chemically affects your brain the same way heroin does. It becomes addictive and destructive. Now, not everybody, but you know, for a good number of people, it does. That doesn't mean that you know heroin, uh, we do ban, but... Alcohol, look how destructive that is in people's sure. lives. But that's my choice to drink and destroy my life or not. When it comes to kids, there are technological ways, if we were serious, that we could give people the opt-out to make sure that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. It's clearly something we can do. When it comes to conservative, I'm a conservative, but I'm a constitutionalist, and I don't uh, take kindly to the limiting of any kind of speech, especially that kind of speech, which I abhor. Well, that's actually its own conversation because within the, the porn debate, there's also people asking, is porn even free speech, right? Does that count as freedom of expression the same way something like a, an unpopular opinion might count as freedom of expression? A lot of people will say, of course, porn is free speech. But when you think about it, you know, you can go on the street corner and say whatever type of political views you want, mm. no matter how controversial. You can't go on the street corner and <laughs> right, play I... any kind of video you want. So there, sure. even with how our society functions, there is clearly we are putting porn in a different category. And then some people say, well, what about sexual art? How does that fit into free speech? And it's like, this is a conversation where I don't have all the answers. I don't even know myself. Where do we draw that line? Because there are obscenity laws yes, that but, have been ruled constitutional, yeah, right. and I don't know where that line is. Right, but that that is if it is out in public. And that's why solve this by giving people a way to keep that away from unsuspecting people. That's kind of You that, have to choose and go into it. No tricks you know, and but you can opt out, but you there's don't. There's no other form of speech where there's a public versus private definition, right? Because I, I have leftists tell me that all the time. Well, I didn't consent to hear your hate speech. And I'm like, whatever, <laughs> it's freedom of expression. You don't need to consent to hear me. But I do agree with you when it comes to something like pornography, there should be two way consent involved for viewing. But again, this is an area where that we are treating porn different than other forms of speech. 
So I'm not saying people shouldn't be able to do it, but I think we do need to realize we've already put it in this other category. And when that disturbs me, I'm more hyper vigilant on it because I don't want any biting around the edges of any kind of speech or uh, or or silencing of anything um, in this society now, because every step we take with an excuse it gets easier and easier to say, well, this is damaging, too, to hear Lauren Chen talk about these things, which were clearly not right. Uh, that's that's harming children. And I just I'm sorry, but I believe in the slippery slope. Lauren, thank you so much. That's Lauren Chen. You can find her uh, pseudo intellectual podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can follow her also on Twitter at the Lauren Chen and also on Blaze TV dot com. Thank you, Lauren. Thank All right, on tomorrow's program, uh, they're going to be debating uh, in the in the House uh, the the vote on impeachment. And uh, the House right now, the House committee is holding its last hearing before the vote. And then it goes to Congress or it goes to the Senate. Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. You have you have to get to 216. uh, You have to get 216 votes, basically, for um, the Democrats, for the Democrats. So the Democrats, you basically have to pick off a bunch here and i went through all the people who are undecided or no response yet to Mm -hmm. an actual answer you've got three people who are in districts where trump won by 10 points or more three democrats those are very highly probable um, that you could pick those off and they would vote against the impeachment then you have probably be allowed to by pelosi Pelosi would probably let them go yeah Um, then you have another nine who are in districts where trump won from between zero to ten points mm-hmm. so you're in really swing districts but trump actually won them another four that are in districts where trump lost but it was close between zero and ten so that gets you to 16 um right there then you have um another three that were in 10 to 20 point range which were you know relatively close yeah. but still clinton won it's gonna be difficult i would say to get there i can't imagine nancy pelosi would have called for this vote and gone down this road if she didn't think she had the votes i think what you'll see is high single digits of defections from the democrats you know eight or nine in that general vicinity Mm -hmm. Um, because you'll you know some people are going to want to protect their districts and and say that they voted against the impeachment to try to get reelected. and and pelosi is all she cares about let's be honest about she doesn't care about any of this stuff all she cares about are the votes all she cares about is power and she plays these games uh, really only looking through the prism she wanted Trump out of there, obviously, on day one, but she didn't support impeachment for a very long time until she thought, for some reason, this was going to give her an advantage. I think what the polls are showing now, though, is it's not an advantage. It's not worked. Uh, you have not convinced the American people. Uh, and I think you're going to start seeing negative repercussions from this. And I think that's the theory in getting this Senate thing over with. Don't screw up a good thing. I don't necessarily agree with that idea from the Republicans, but because I would like to see these facts come out and have the American people look at them. But I think that's their their calculus here. It's like, we've got a good thing. We've won this already. Don't screw it up. I think so, too. I don't think that they're actually going to call anybody. I think they're going to acquit the president just by a simple vote based on what McConnell said today uh, about how they're not going to call any witnesses. You're listening to Glenn Beck.